Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube through video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good. This is your cybersecurity threat intel briefing for November uh, 20th, 2022 through November 26th, 2022. First of all, just want to start out by saying that if you are celebrating Thanksgiving or if you had celebrated Thanksgiving uh, yesterday, uh, on Thursday, this past Thursday, uh, that's a popular holiday here in the United States. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I did put out a post, so I wished you happy Thanksgiving earlier, but just want to make sure that I redo that. Uh, if you're anywhere else in the world, Happy holidays, whichever holiday that you're celebrating or that you have coming up. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, because we are actually doing this live on YouTube this week still, and this is Saturday, uh, thanks for joining me. Also, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you think of any ideas about the content or ways that we can improve the show for you, or really any kind of content that I'm putting out, definitely let me know. I'm always taking in those comments and those suggestions, recommendations, all that stuff, and trying to make the show better, you know, the overall content better that we're putting out. And then if you're listening on podcasting platform, because as you heard, we are available on all the popular podcasting platforms. So Spotify, iTunes, you know, a whole bunch of them, right? Uh, make sure to subscribe on there as well and leave a review. Let me know. Same thing. If you're enjoying the show uh, and all the content that we're putting out. Uh, with that being said, also check the description uh, because there will be a link to the show notes where you can look at the articles that we're talking about. So if you want to look a little bit more into the articles that we discuss, uh, maybe you want to see everything that's discussed in that article, then the links will be there. There will also be other articles that we don't uh, necessarily cover too. So there's been a little bit, uh, a little bit lighter articles just because it is uh, Thanksgiving, especially here in the U.S. So. There's a little bit less content uh, this week overall, but we definitely have some good articles that uh, we're going to cover this week. And so without any further delay, we're going to go ahead and just jump right into it. So first article, Donald Trump returns to Twitter after Elon Musk's poll. In a surprising move, Twitter's lifted the permanent suspension of former U.S. President Donald Trump's account. The move follows a Twitter poll ran by Elon Musk that asked users whether reinstate Trump's account in the majority of 15 million uh, respondents, so 52% overall, answered affirmatively, saying yes, reinstate his account. Many are shocked to see the real Donald Trump, which is his handle, account back on Twitter, uh, while other users are cheering welcome back as Twitter restores Donald Trump's account along with its data and followers as they were pre-permanent suspension. So with this article, just in general, right, whether you support Donald Trump or you don't, you know, that's not really the important part here. Uh, but, you know, within your organization, right, when you offer a service, a product, anything like that, that has terms of service, you know, usage agreements, and this can apply to policies too, right? When you're drafting these up, you know, you want to be very careful that you are including the things that you want to include. So you're really shaping the behavior, right? Of the users, um, of, you know, the customers, whatever it is, right? Like whoever's using that and, you know, you're shaping that activity. So 
you want to be careful about what you include and what you don't include, right? On a platform like Twitter, you know, it's supposed, it's supposed to be very much a collaborative, communicative uh, community kind of environment, right? So they want discussion. They want people to share things and uh, retweet things and do all of these things, right? And then, so where is the line that you're drawing in the sand? Now, with this thing in particular, obviously, there was a shift in the power. There was a shift in the ownership, right? And a shift in, you know, the overall mindset of that leadership and what they should allow, what they should not allow. And I think that's a very, you know, a very important thing to think about. And then as a consumer, as a user on a network, you know, thinking about that leadership and if they change their stance, you know, how does that affect you, right? If, you know, something like Twitter and they're changing this, they're starting to allow people that were, um, you know, considered really negative or anything like that, um, you know, but they're allowed back on the platform. How does that affect you, right? Does that change your mind as far as what you want to do? I mean, frankly, there's a lot going on in Twitter. <laughs> There's a, probably a lot of disaster uh, fires, dumpster fires that are <laughs> that are are occurring. Um, you know, this just happens to be kind of one of them because uh, Elon Musk is really just going at it, right? Doing a lot of things that are you know would seem controversial under the old Twitter uh, leadership and ownership regime, but. Um, you know, it's just an interesting thing. It kind of makes you think. Um, and again, that comes a lot to the terms of service and the usage agreements and how those are put into place, what they say. Um, yeah. So just want to bring that up because it is an important kind of consideration, especially when you're offering things to customers and, you know, outside entities, right? You have to really think about that. Let's see here. Uh, Next article, Microsoft, Meta, and others facing rising drought risk to their data centers. Drought conditions are worsening in the U.S., and that has, is having an outsized impact on the real estate that houses the Internet. Data centers generate massive amounts of heat through their servers because of the enormous amount of power that they use. Water is the cheapest and most common method used to cool the, the data centers. In just one day, the average data center could use 300,000 gallons of water to cool itself the water consumption of as much as 100,000 homes, according to researchers at Virginia Tech, who uh, also estimated that one in five data centers draws water from stressed watersheds, mostly in the West. And then there's a quote, these data centers are, up, uh, are set up to operate over uh, for 20 years. So what are things going to look like in 2040? So yeah, we work in tech, right? Most of us, uh, a lot of us that are probably watching this content and data centers, if you've ever been in a data center, these things are typically massive, right? Like you have to reach a certain scale to get a data center, right? For it to fee be uh, economically feasible or make sense. And so there are uh, cooling systems in here, heating systems, all this stuff, and they generate a lot of electricity. You ever got a home lab like I've had a home lab before where I've had the physical gear those you know consume heat right you have to cool them down somehow which typically means more uh, air conditioning or cooling and you know all of that stuff requires power generation 
Now we've seen a lot with data centers, especially at some of these larger organizations. You know, there's been documentaries and things like that walking through some of their data centers and they're, they're attempting, right, to go as green as possible, but they just consume so much power, right? And then that powers things like the internet or Facebook or, you know, whatever, right? And so it really is an interesting kind of consideration and kind of a shift in the way of thinking when we're putting up things like data centers. Because, you know, when data centers were really starting to be a thing, right, like originally, you know, that wasn't a consideration, right? The main consideration was getting as much processing power and compute power in that space as possible. And then we saw things like shared data centers starting to come up for smaller businesses where they didn't have to have an entire data center. They could get a rack or part of a rack and, uh, and rent it or lease it and you know, put their, their, uh, their servers in there. But you know, obviously, just like uh, with cars, right, we've seen that kind of shift too. You know, it was, it, the, using gas wasn't really a consideration at first, right? Like it was, it's fine. We'll just, you know, you just fill it up, you put in as much gas as you need to, and then you end up with tanks like uh, the H2 Hummers, right? <laughs> and these, you know, gas guzzling uh, vehicles, right? And then the semi trucks would take a bunch of gas as well or diesel. And, you know, it wasn't consideration. Now we're seeing a lot more consideration for electric vehicles or alternative fuel sources, seeing things like Tesla and all these other electric uh, vehicles. Um, I think we're even seeing um, some of the the semis starting to try to utilize some of that uh, capability. But, you know, with data centers, um, it's an issue, right? Uh, we see data centers, one of the ideas with data centers is that you want it to be redundant, right? And high availability, which means that it's available all the time. And so that means that you're going to need data centers in different regions of the world different areas and uh, different geographic areas. And so that means that um, requirement for water or power, electricity in general, is going to be dispersed across the world. So it's going to be you know, obviously isolated and a lot of times in areas that have a lot to consume. And then over time, obviously, that will get consumed. So it's definitely something that we have to be considerate uh, concerned about and concerned about because, you know, obviously we don't want to use all the water for a data center, right? Like that's a bad idea. So we've got to try to figure out other ways that we can generate so much power and not put at risk um, some of these resources. So it's very interesting, especially in these larger companies, you know, with very small companies, it's not such a big deal because they typically are using very little. But, you know, if you've ever watched any of these documentaries on these companies like Meta, you know, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, they have huge, huge like plants of data centers and servers and they're massive, right? So it's definitely interesting to, uh, to consider and think about. Uh, next article, Notorious Emotet malware returns with high volume mouse spam. Uh, campaign. The notorious Emotet malware is returned with renewed vigor as part of a high volume mouse spam campaign designed to drop payloads like iced, 
ID, and Bumblebee. Hundreds of thousands of emails per day have been sent since early November 2022, enterprise security company Proofpoint said last week. Adding the new activity suggests Emotet is returning to its full functionality, acting as a delivery network for major malware families. Emotet-related activity was last observed in July 2022, although sporadic infections have been reported since then. In mid-October, ESET revealed that Emotet may be readying for a new wave of attacks pointing out updates to its system info module. And then uh, it talks about Europool. Europool called Emotet the world's most dangerous malware for its ability to act as a primary door opener for computer systems to deploy next-stage binaries that facilitate data theft and ransomware. Started off in uh, 2014 as a banking trojan before evolving into a botnet. Yeah, so I think one thing to consider here is that malware in general and these malware malicious groups, um, one thing that happens is, you know, they have kind of these spikes in their history, right? So they start getting really popular and then there's a spike of user activity, user usage. And then typically what happens is a lot of law enforcement starts to really hone in on those kind of groups. And we see things like domains getting shut down and really these you know, massive efforts to shut down some of these large-scale networks. And a lot of times they're successful, you know, especially once they reach a certain scale, they've got to have, you know, so many uh, servers or whatever to deploy this stuff, right? So eventually they just reach this critical mass and then they, you know, they have no choice. They get disbanded, right? Um, but we also see that, you know, these groups, they will get really big, really popular, and sometimes they will just kind of fall off, right? They'll kind of go in hiding because they are starting to get a lot of attention from things like law enforcement and some of the uh, service providers and, you know, everything like that. So we see that too. And, you know, this is kind of one of those cases, right, where we saw it start to kind of fall off. And I think another thing that is important to point out too is when these groups, when they fall off, typically they shift their efforts. They kind of, they pivot, right? Just like a startup that kind of starts to uh, flounder and kind of, you know, not do so well, start to kind of fall off. They try to pivot and they try to find a way that's going to help them catapult into a better situation, right? So yeah, we totally see that. Um, and so with, you know, Emotet, we're definitely seeing that. And we also uh, talked about, I think this was about a month ago, Roughly, um, we talked about some of the uh, some of the older style malware was really starting to kind of transition more into like a ransomware as a service or a malware as a service kind of setup where they were able to get a foothold on some of these systems and you know major companies right and then they're starting to sell off that access and I think we're kind of starting to see that with with this here as well. Because, you know, that's a pretty good pivot, right? Uh, you know, you can still kind of capitalize on some of that access and uh, get some of that profit still and really squeeze out every last dollar that you can uh, as a malicious, you know, uh, attacker, group, whatever. And obviously that's dangerous for us as, you know, cybersecurity professionals, as tech professionals, as anybody that works in a tech company or a company in general, right, that uses technology, that is definitely 
you know, a concern and something that we have to be aware of, but you know, it, a lot of it comes down to doing a lot of best practices because, you know, malware will always be out there, right? There will always be new malware and we always have to evolve kind of our strategy and improve our defenses so that we are not, um, you know, we're not really far behind as far as uh, securing our organizations. If you don't adapt your security, you know, as things evolve and you're still operating, let's say today you're operating on the things that you knew, you know, five years ago, you're probably breached by a lot of people, right? It's just how it is. Things change very rapidly in this field and with cybersecurity. And it's amazing, right? You have to be on top of the ball. You can't wait, you know, five, six, seven, eight years and, um, you know, and <laughs> expect to still be secure. It's just not a thing, right? So really, really important. Uh, next article. And you may have heard about this one. Ticketmaster blames bot attacks for Taylor Swift ticket fiasco. The fiasco around Ticketmaster's sale of tickets for Taylor Swift's upcoming tour has caused so much outrage among fans that the issue has now reached the halls of Congress and the Justice Department. So I don't know about you, but was anybody out there trying to buy Taylor Swift tickets? I wasn't. But... Um, there's a lot of people out there that were trying to get these tickets, right? On Friday last week, uh, Ticketmaster released a statement attributing the ticket issuing, uh, ticket, uh, ticketing issues to bots overloading their website alongside the pop stars adoring fans. Historically, we've been able to manage huge volumes coming into the site to shop for tickets, so those with verified fan codes have a smooth shopping process, Ticketmaster said. So if you don't know who Taylor Swift is, really popular uh, artist, uh, music artist that um, definitely appeals to, um, you know, younger generation, like younger millennial, uh, what's next, like Gen Z or whatever, kind of that age demographic, and then uh, really young, uh, young audience too. Um, and the idea here is that with Ticketmaster, you would get a code and you could get, you know, basically early release kind of tickets, like an early sale because you're a verified fan. That's basically the idea. Uh, however, this time, the staggering number of bot attacks as well as fans who didn't have codes uh, drove unprecedented traffic on our site, resulting in 3.5 uh, billion total system requests, four times our previous peak. The proliferation of affordable bots as a service tools has made it more difficult for buyers of tickets and products like sneakers or PlayStation 5s. Bots now beat out everyday people thanks to powerful technology made readily available by sites like Cybersoul, uh, Kodai, GanashBot, and more. Those using bots then resale the goods for a hefty profit. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? When we think about something like this, you know, this really started to be popular as, uh, as the internet grew, this whole idea of exclusive access, early access pre-sales, right? And with Ticketmaster, they've been known to do this with all kinds of different artists. And basically, again, you get a code, you can go in there and you can buy tickets early, right? It's like a pre-sale. 
And with bots, obviously, if they're able to get in there, I mean, bots can generate massive amounts of traffic, you know, like that, that in itself is an issue, but something like this, there's only a limited quantity. So if bots are able to get in there and generate all that kind of traffic and really buy these tickets, you know, that's an issue. And then whoever is uh, managing these bots, the bot herder is called, uh, they will have all these tickets that they can then sell for a huge uh, markup, right? So if the ticket was like $100 or something, you know, maybe they sell it for like $1,000 because they have all the quantity, right? Supply and demand. I saw an article from somebody that this, uh, this, <laughs> this man was, he was trying to buy tickets to, um, uh, I think it was Def Leppard, right? It was, it was a rock band. and something happened, right? And he ended up buying like several tickets to Taylor Swift. And so now he was saying in the article that he could resell these tickets for like $10,000 a pop. That's crazy. You know, he probably, he didn't pay over, you know, a couple hundred dollars, you know, maybe it was less um, because it was the presale, right? But, you know, to make that kind of profit, to make, you know, well over $9,000 in profit per ticket, right? I mean, that's crazy. That is crazy. That can definitely be lucrative. Um, but you know, this bot as a service kind of setup, we're seeing this with a lot of malware and a lot of stuff like this. We're seeing this access sold where you can do things like this. And it's definitely an issue internally, you know, when you're thinking about this, how do you manage that? Right? How do you prevent bots from doing massive amounts of requests, you know, all at once? You know, it, it's hard with bots, right? Um, that's where it comes down to hoping that a lot of these botnets get shut down. But, you know, limiting requests, um, being careful how rapidly things can be sold, doing things like uh, zero trust, you know, rate limiting, there's all kinds of things that you can put into place that hopefully can minimize some of this stuff. I think that, you know, it's going to be hard to completely eliminate um, some of this stuff. But, you know, there's certainly things that you can do to minimize that. And it feels like to me, you know, just using my cybersecurity mind, right? Like, whatever that means. But, uh, you know, using my cybersecurity uh, thinking cap, you know, it feels like they probably didn't have enough uh, things in place to be ready for this, right? They kind of were like, well, you know, we've never had this happen before. And so it wasn't even a thought. That's what it feels like. And I guess they're going to have to answer to this, right? Um, for, I'm not sure what's going to come of that, right? Since it, it's a private business, um, you know, if they're getting the money, that they legitimately, you know, sold the tickets for or that they had them listed as. I don't know, right? Like that's definitely there's definitely some manipulation in here, right? Like some market manipulation as far as the ticket pricing and what it will end up being sold because yeah, I mean that's that's kind of counterproductive to what is supposed to happen, right? The artist wants to sell tickets, they want to perform for their fans. They don't want to have their fans feeling like they were gypped because they had to buy a ticket at $10,000 a pop, right? Like that, 
that's unfortunate. Um, so I guess we'll see what kind of happens here. But definitely pretty interesting. Uh, let's see here. Hacker George Hotz, long a uh, frenemy of Elon Musk, signs on for 12 weeks at Twitter. A lot's been made of Twitter's shrinking workforce, which is reportedly at 2,300 people, down from the 7,500 employed by the company when the new owner, Elon Musk, took control. While we posted that the uh, newest wave of departures was part of Musk's Musk, uh, master plan to shrink down the company, many worry about the haphazard way that it's being downsized. Insider reported on Friday, for example, that Twitter's payroll department was decimated last week when employees were given a stark ultimatum by Musk opted, uh, opted to bounce. Still, Musk has plenty of supporters who want, him to, uh, want to help him improve Twitter and apparently uh, just brought one into the fold on a short-term basis, George Hotz, the security hacker known for developing iOS jailbreaks and reverse engineering PlayStation 3 before later founding comma.ai, whose driver assistance system startup uh, aims to bring Tesla autopilot-like uh, functionality to other cars. So the main reason why I want to bring up this article is when you're in a company, right, and you're thinking about who to hire, you know, you have to have a vision and idea of where you want to go and who you're going to bring in, right? Who's going to help you get to that, that point. And that's a really important thing in general. So if you're hiring, if you are, you know, an employee trying to get hired, you know, and you really want to get, really want to get hired by a company, I would highly recommend that you look and see what their kind of vision is, what they're talking about in the news, you know, where they see things going and using that to shape the things that you're learning, the skills that you're building, um, you know, all of that stuff, because that's going to make you a more attractive uh, candidate for that company, right? Um, if you, let's say a company is a pure AWS um, shop, right? Like that company only uses AWS and you really want to work at that company. Does it make sense to go get certified in uh, Microsoft or Google, right? Like that just doesn't typically make sense. And the only way that you're going to see that is if you're looking at articles, if you're looking at job postings um, and really trying to analyze what they're trying to do, right? It's really important. And it's one thing that I don't think people do enough. They kind of assume that, you know, I can just blanketly do X or Y or Z, right? And that I'm going to appeal to all companies. It's just not the case. And certainly, you know, if there's things that fit in with your interest, they align with your interest and your career and kind of how you see things going in your career, you know, certainly, you know, certain companies are not going to work out, right? It's just how it is. So does that mean you shouldn't apply to those companies? Not necessarily. I would still apply because you never know you know, behind the scenes, there might be other things that are in place that they can utilize that skill set or something else that you bring to the table. But it's really, you know, a, a career article for sure, because you just have to think about that stuff, right? That's with certifications, that's with skills, that's with degrees, that's with everything, right? You really should be thinking about that. And that comes down to industries too, right? Certain industries are going to um, value certain things more than others. For instance, if you're working in like defense 
and you want to work for a military contractor, you know, having a clearance is a valuable thing. If you go to a public, a private company, right? Some other kind of company outside of that industry, like, um, you know, a sales force, right? They're probably not going to value that clearance like the other kind of companies would. So it's an important thing to consider and be aware of in your career pursuit. Uh, let's see here. What else we got? Credential stuffers steal 300K from DraftKings customers. Sports betting site DraftKings has promised to reimburse an undisclosed number of customers after they lost 300,000 through a uh, suspected credential stuffing campaign. We currently believe that the login information of those customers was compromised on other websites and then used to access the DraftKings accounts where they, were used this, where they used the same login information it continued. We have seen no evidence to suggest DraftKings systems were breached to obtain this information. That would include, uh, that would seem to indicate classic credential stuffing attacks where threat actors buy up username password combos from underground breach sites, feed them into an automated tool, and then try in mass, uh, try them in mass across the internet to see where uh, where they've been reused by individuals. So it amazes me how many platforms and sites still don't require multi-factor authentication or MFA, right? So if you don't know what MFA is, multi-factor authentication, it's basically the idea that um, it's it's basically the idea that you have a username and password typically, but then you have some other factors. So maybe you get a text message code to your phone, right? Or an email, uh, a code to your email address. That's basically the idea, right? And so there's so many platforms where you can just set up an account and you don't have to set up multi-factor authentication. I think that is a bad idea for users, right? Like that just, Yes, multi-factor authentication can introduce, you know, kind of an extra security hurdle, but it's crazy to me in this day and age when it is known that passwords by themselves are such a terrible authentication measure and companies still don't force users to use that code. If it were me, I think it's a good idea that as soon as you have a user sign up, that they have basically no access or very limited access until they set up multi-factor authentication. That protects you as the company, that protects that user, and the whole authentication process. Because what happens is, if you don't do that, you end up in a situation like this, where you are literally allowing credential stuffers, in a lot of cases, to have at least you know, a potential opportunity to, uh, to authenticate as users, right? Like they're, Certainly there's other things that you can do like rate limiting the amount of logins that can be attempted or, you know, some other stuff, right? Locking out accounts. But, you know, in this day and age, it is just crazy to me that you wouldn't force that right away, especially with something like DraftKings, where if you don't know what DraftKings is, DraftKings is an online betting platform. And so they do like fantasy. Um, you can bet on sporting events like live. So as it's evolving, the, um, the uh, odds get updated. And so you can bet, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever, second half. Um, but these companies just don't force that. So it's really weird. And the other thing that's interesting is, they pro you know, if they don't force it in their, on their customer accounts, you know, 
I would be interested to see how many employee accounts have two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication too, right? Like it's just poor security practices spill across the board. You know, internal poor practices spill out to customer accounts as well. You know, I'm just saying, and that's from experience. You know, that is certainly from all the years of experience that I have and seeing things that are just, you know, questionable at best, right? But um, yeah, and think about that, you know, on a, a site like DraftKings where, you know, or like a banking site, even worse, right? But a site like that where you literally have money invested or you, you have money on that platform, you have your checking account on, connected to that platform. Like this is all really, really bad, right? You would think that those kind of companies would be a little bit more cautious as far as what they are, you know, doing on their platform. It's just, it's just crazy. <laughs> it makes no sense to me, right? Uh, we had a comment that says, I wonder if multi-factor authentication could have slowed down the Taylor Swift attack because then the bots would have had to authenticate. I mean, it's possible, right? Um, I, I don't know what the back end looks like in the authentication process. Uh, on the backside for Ticketmaster and how those um, those transactions are generated and authenticated, right? Um, so it's certainly possible, but um, you know, it, some companies just they just let me down, right? Like you have these companies that are definitely you know drawing in a lot of revenue that seem to just really. Um, have a lackluster attention to security. It's crazy, right? Like we see companies getting breached all the time. And I don't know, maybe that's uh, a, you know, um, uh, a security issue where they just didn't sell the companies enough on um, actually implementing some of these security measures. I mean, that's possible. You know, I, I've seen security departments where it's you know, there's not quite as much attention focused on security or as much knowledge as they should have. Um, you know, and that's when you bring in outside experts, right? Like you bring in people that know what they're doing to help you really evolve your security program. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just very interesting how, um, how much security is still an afterthought. It's just, you know, there, it's like they're so focused on their bottom line and they're just blinded by the dollar signs, right? They are just blinded because they, they're like, well, our IT staff can handle all of the infrastructure, all of the deployments, and all the security, right? And they can think of all the stuff that's going to happen and do everything that's needed, right? I just don't think that's possible, right? Like you certainly reach a certain uh, critical mass in your company where, um, you know, you have to bring on security people. You have to evolve that security program. You can't just continue and operate in the way that you were when you were a startup. I get it sometimes with these startups where, you know, money is at an all-time premium and every dollar matters, right? Like every dollar has to go towards research and development if you want the company to survive and really get to where, you know, it's a really profitable company. Totally get that. 
But so many of these companies are doing such a poor job of actually identifying that point where they need to bring in security professionals. And that's like when they need to bring in the first security professional. Like it's not even like, okay, when we need to bring in a team, it's like, no, no. When you need to bring in the first person to focus on security. So it's really, um, it's really bad out there. Um, yeah. I mean, companies, you know, if, if you want to talk about this, you know, definitely, you know, hit me up, but, um, we see this in a lot of companies and the issues are just going to get worse and worse and worse. If you don't pay attention to it, I'm telling you, it's just, you have to do better. I don't know how many times I can say it. You know, you need to realize that you don't have that expertise or that knowledge internally, and you have to bring somebody in that knows what they're doing and can bring in a team and really evolve that security program. It's just, it's something you have to do. If you want to get to the Googles of the world, to that size or, you know, to that kind of popularity or, um, you know, really grow, you better start thinking about security because these ransomware uh, groups and all this stuff, they are just going to, you know, destroy your company and you're not going to be ready for it. You're not going to see it coming and you're just going to flop and, you know, you're going to go, you know, belly up, right? So it is what it is. I mean, you can make the decision, but definitely hit me up. I mean, I, I want companies to succeed, right? Like security should not be an issue as far as why your company fails and all your employees, you know, end up losing their jobs, right? So don't, don't let that happen for sure. Um, hit me up. So uh, with that, that's going to be our last article for this week. Again, this was your threat Intel briefing for November 20th, 2022 through November 26th, 2022. I'm your host, John Good. Again, happy holidays, wherever you're at. If you're in the U.S. and you're celebrating Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving as well. If you join me on this Saturday and you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're listening on podcasting platform, like, comment, oh, well, <laughs> subscribe and uh, leave a review. Let me know how things are going. And uh, also check out the description for the link to the show notes. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. I want to thank you again for watching, and I will see you next time.